a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Every episode, we delve into an international matter that needs some uh, some breaking down, some explanation, something interesting that is going on in the world. Dr. Keith is an expert in international relations, three PhDs, boringly qualified to talk <laughs> about this stuff, but not boring to listen to in the slightest, by the way. He makes it always very interesting and simplifies things with complexities around these sorts of situations. And we're talking today about the end of history and a bloke called Fukuyama yeah. who predicted the end of history of the effect 30 years ago, Keith. Exactly 30 years ago. So this is Dr. Francis Fukuyama, an American academic and a Hegelian scholar. So Hegel was a German philosopher who talked about the end of history as well. So it's, it's an old idea if you study political philosophy. So Francis Fukuyama, in the summer of 1980, northern summer of 1989, gave a talk which then became a magazine article talking about the fact that we're reaching the end of the Cold War. This was a, a brilliant insight on his behalf. It became, it, it appeared in a minor American magazine edited ironically by an Australian, Owen Harris, who used to teach at the University of New South Wales, so I knew him in his prior life. Owen Harris left Australia and then went to work in the, in the United States. He's now living in retirement, I think, back in Sydney. So he came across this talk by Francis Fukuyama, and then published it in a very small circulation magazine. About 6,000 copies of the magazine article appeared in um, the National Interest exactly 30 years ago. And it caught the mood of the moment. It was a brilliant piece of writing. So Francis Fukuyama, an Hegelian scholar, took the view that we were coming to the end of history. So the end of history was Hegel's expression from 200 years ago where he talked about the impact of the French Revolution and the way that we were creating democracies around the world. Francis Fukuyama picked up on that idea. Francis Fukuyama said, looking at the world, he was basically a Soviet expert and he predicted the collapse of the Soviet Union. Brilliant piece of writing. At that time... Mikhail Gorbachev, two weeks earlier, had said that the Soviet Union would no longer seek to impose its views on Eastern Europe. And Fukuyama decided that this was the, the ending of the Soviet era in world history, that Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet leader, had recognised there was a limit to Soviet power. And so Gorbachev had said, Countries in Eastern Europe be able to run their own affairs and really things started to unravel very quickly after, from Gorbachev's point of view. Francis Fukuyama said, look, we're, we're coming to the end of history. A liberal democracy, in other words, one where there is the rule of law, regular elections and consumerism, that way of living, which we call the Western way of living, has now triumphed. That's why it's the end of history. There will continue to be disputes. There will be continued to be upheavals. But basically, the world will evolve towards a Western way of living and that ultimately other societies will join in. Fukuyama said, if you look back over the 20th century, this Western way of life, United States, United Kingdom, Australia, of course, had come up against a number of challenges. So the century began with the old imperial dictatorships of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the German Empire, under Kaiser uh, Wilhelm, that era has collapsed. Th those empires have gone. The Tsarist empires also collapsed, right? So that's the beginning of the 20th century. 
Then you move into the 20s and 30s, you get the rise of fascism in Italy and Nazi Germany. They were then the new challenge for those Western countries, and that challenge also ended in 1945. The next big challenge comes from the Soviet Union and communism. And Fukuyama predicted the end of communism in the Soviet Union, and he said China, which has just started to liberalise its markets, remember uh, Chairman Mao had died in 1976, and then three years later, Deng Xiaoping began the major economic reforms. We'd had by this time almost a decade of reforms within China, and China was becoming far more westernised, it was growing rapidly, etc., And so Fukuyama, insofar as he thought about China, and he never did really very much think about it, would say, well, look, China is now on this path to becoming westernised and becoming democratic. Because if you look at what happens elsewhere around the world, as a society becomes richer, so it becomes more democratic. So in our own region, for example, South Korea, the Philippines, Indonesia have all become richer societies and they therefore also become democracies. So it was actually some of that reasoning, by the way, which led to Mrs. Thatcher's negotiations with communist China over the future of Hong Kong. So remember, Hong Kong became independent of Britain in 1997. The treaty specifying all of that was actually negotiated in the 1980s when Mrs. Thatcher was still at number 10 Downing Street. Mm. And she was also motivated by this notion that as societies get richer, so they will become freer. And so she said, in effect, that Hong Kong, by having a a grace period of 50 years, within that 50 years after 1997, mainland China will continue to grow richer and then become more democratic. And so in a sense, you'll get an amalgamation of these two systems. That was her reasoning. I've got to say at the moment, I think she was wrong, but I, I was supporting her at the time. Look, I was about to say as well, we don't really see any evidence of any amalgamation, do we, at the moment? Not at the moment. <laughs> but that was the reasoning behind Mrs Thatcher's negotiations with China. That's what motivated her. Now, Francis Fukuyama would, would have said, yes, I agree, that as societies get richer, so they become more democratic, they become far more interested in consumer goods and far less interested in waging war. War ruins your weekends when you could be spending it at sporting matches or buying exotic French products, etc. So, I mean, really, why would you bother? <laughs> why would you bother to have a war? Whereas in the old days, a leader like Napoleon was expected to win military victories. That's how you proved you were a successful leader because people were far more patriotic at that time. Now, if we are patriotic, it's because of a sporting event. It's not because we have people clamouring to join the armed forces and going to fight other people's wars. So Francis Fukuyama, in this remarkable article, talked about an idea that he got from Hegel, that we're reaching this sort of plateau within world affairs. In other words, that we will see more and more societies becoming richer and more democratic, and therefore, by implication, the world will become more peaceful. I've got to say, although nobody ever believes me on this when I quote the statistic, but between 1900 and today, the most dangerous period to have lived was between 1900 and 1950, the outbreak of the Korean War. Since 1950, we have seen a reduction in the number of wars and a reduction in the total number of people killed in wars. So the world is becoming a more peaceful place, which in a sense justifies Fukuyama's optimism 
um, that eventually the world will be peaceful and that's therefore the end of history. There is no other major ideology that can challenge the Western liberal democratic outlook on life. This is Global Truth with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking about this theory from, would you describe it really as a theory from It's a Fukuyama? theory which became an article and then later on became a book as well Yeah, by Francis Fukuyama, The End of History. Yeah, and just talking about this philosophy of societies getting richer and therefore freer, but we're not seeing that a lot still though in the Middle East, Keith. Well, that's why... Or Africa. Yeah, that's why it's interesting 30 years later to look at what's happened to Francis Fukuyama. Is he still that optimistic? And the answer is that he's not. Clearly, the revival of Islam, which he hinted at in the article 30 years ago, has turned out to be much more virulent than he would have suggested in the article. And the fact that a lot of people are happily, you know, they volunteer to become Muslims. They convert to the cause. You know, you get young women in Australia who are happy behind, uh, you know, very tight, restrictive clothing, etc., who accept the conditions of Islam. So it, it is interesting that the optimism that he displayed, and it's a very particular strands in American thinking, right? It's, it, it's different from the conservative strand in American thinking, which says the whole world is against us, the world is a difficult place, and it's a struggle. That's sometimes called the realist point of view, where it's really one dog eating another dog, you know, that you've got people who are fighting each other all the time. I'm a bit of a realist in terms of political science because when I look at the world, I do, I do unfortunately tend to see countries fighting one another, a lack of, of willingness to work together. The idealist, which I think is where Francis Fukuyama is, which is the other end of the spectrum, says, look, countries can work together. They can make the world a safer place, a better place. You can harmonise your interests and so work together. And so that is the idealism which underpins this article. He could see he predicted the end of the Cold War, spot on, a brilliant piece of prediction a couple of years before it actually took place. So the article appeared in 1989, 1991, two years later, the Soviet Union had gone, broken up entirely. So he certainly got that bit right. But some of his later uh, writings have, have brought out to be more pessimistic um, because simply when you look at the world, we haven't seen a, a sudden flurry of Western liberal democracies around the world. We've got more democracies, I agree, more democracies in the world than ever before, particularly in our own region, a reduction in conflict. But you look at the situation in Africa, it could be pretty grim in certain countries. Some some parts of Africa, which don't get much publicity, are doing brilliantly, I've got to say, with a high rate of economic growth. But we remember Congo and all the problems in Congo and all the difficulties they've got there. So is it the end of history? I'm not sure that it is. And if you're Hegelian, then you look at the world and you see what's called the, the thesis, antithesis, and the fresh synthesis. So in other words, you have the original starting point, then it gets challenged, and then the challenge blends with the original situation to create the new synthesis. So Karl Marx was Hegelian because he could see that history was always unstable but ultimately arriving at a particular point where the workers will take over the assets of the bourgeoisie and they'll end up with a classless society, right? So you start at the very beginning with a feudal society, with one group fighting another, and you end up with where we are today, according to a Marxist theory, which is that the workers then take over the bourgeoisie, the middle class. I'm not a Marxist. I'm, uh, I have a very different sort of outlook, but that, that's the Marxist theory. But you can see how you got this notion of churn, and if you look, for me, if you look at politics, you can see this churn that goes on, not necessarily driven 
solely by money, right? Marxists are driven by money. They have what's called a materialist conception of history. They think that money is the measure of all things. But if you look at the world, you've got a number of people who are actually being driven by other sets of values. The obvious one is religion. Religion is coming back to bite the Marxists and also the American sociologists who said that we're coming to the end of the era of religion. People will end up as happy consumers or happy communists. The answer is no, they, they want to be either Christians or they want to be Muslims. But isn't that interesting as well? That I think, I think that comes with the thought processes, that it comes with a huge amount of wealth like you see in Australia, that the, you, people lose their meaning of life and they, lo- they become a little bit empty in yeah. terms of their direction and so therefore they are driven towards things like religion to have that meaning again. It's or quite- they become depressed and you end up with mental health issues. Yeah. The World Health Organisation has said that mental health will be the number one health issue for this century. In other words, we're able to uh, deal with contagious diseases, etc. Obviously, you get Ebola from time to time, but basically we're getting on top of diseases. People are learning to have uh, healthier lifestyles. They're not drinking, they're not smoking, they're exercising more, but it's going to be depression, mm. mental health issues that are going to haunt us, which comes back to the issue partly of meaning. Now, some mental health issues are chemically induced, but others are back to meaning, which is why I like Francis Fukuyama because he talks about meaning and what drives people along, except that he's obviously an optimist, although, as I say, in his recent writings, he's not quite so much of an optimist. He's very worried about the rise of identity politics, which he certainly hadn't foreshadowed 30 years ago. So in other words, we're, we're getting away from class, which is the Marxist method of analysis, right, the working class, the middle class. We're moving away from that. Instead, people are saying... Um, I am a black female gay voter, right? So that's your, that's your identity, mm. right? Um, or I'm an aristocratic white male who drives a Bentley, right? So that's another identity. And so Fukuyama is concerned that we're breaking down national societies into these clusters of competing identities, which may yet trigger further unrest. So although he got it right about the end of the Cold War, I don't think that we can say that we're approaching the end of history. I think we will continue to have further issues arise. And and as I say, it appeared in an obscure little magazine, ended up being written about in the New York Times, became the bestseller article of the period, and then a book. And those of us who teach political science had a few years of having to teach Francis Fukuyama. Everybody wanted to talk about Francis Fukuyama and the end of history. 30 years on... The article, I think, was very good at predicting the collapse of the Soviet Union, but clearly we haven't reached the end of history. Oh, boom, Tish, by the way. Well done. Look at that little play on words at the end there. (laughs) Excellent. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 